This is NTD Evening News. Live from our NTD Global Headquarters in New York City, here is Tiffany Meyer. Good evening and thank you for joining us tonight. Accounts of President Biden's foggy memory sparking intense backlash from the White House. But public scrutiny is growing amid a series of gaffes by the president this week. NTD's White House correspondent Iris Tao has more. The White House today really tried to push back against those accounts about Biden's memory lapses, calling the special counsel's comments gratuitous, unacceptable, and just not living in reality. And besides just giving a straight denial, the White House also went on to accuse special counsel Robert Hur, who's a Republican, of being influenced by GOP pressure, if not directly motivated by political intentions. Watch. The way that the president's demeanor in that report was characterized could not be more wrong on the facts and clearly politically motivated. Republicans in Congress and elsewhere have been attacking prosecutors. There is pressure to criticize and to make, you know, statements that maybe in otherwise you wouldn't make. But on the other hand, the White House also had to affirm the special counsel's conclusion in suggesting that President Biden should not be prosecuted for his handling of classified documents. And the press secretary also had to defend Biden's many gaffes throughout the past week. Here's just two of them in the past few days. Watch. As I said, I'm going to be a president for everybody, whether you live in a red state or a green state. President of Mexico, CC did not want to open up the gate. To it does happen to many people, and I actually talked about one of your colleagues that I do it to all the time. And President Biden insisted on Thursday that his memory was fine. That's right before he mixed up the presidents of Egypt and Mexico. An NBC poll released this week says three quarters of voters, including half of Democrats, say they are concerned about Biden's mental and physical health. Meanwhile, when meeting with the German chancellor today, Biden pushed for more Ukraine aid. Not to support Ukraine is close to criminal neglect. Though ignoring many more questions about the special counsel's report. Mr. President. Notably, the two leaders chose not to hold a joint press conference today. The White House says it just happens that there isn't one. Reporting from the White House, Iris Howe, NTD News. Senators are in for a long weekend on Capitol Hill as they move a foreign aid bill for Israel, Ukraine and Taiwan. And there will be strings attached to how the money is used. NTD's Melina Weisskopf has more. Senators are headed into a lengthy process for passing this $95 billion foreign aid package that allocates funds for Israel, Ukraine and Taiwan. Remember, this is the one without those border security provisions after all but four Republicans and five Democrats voted to tank that broader bill. Now, some Republicans like Senator Rand Paul, for example, is vowing to slow the process to passing this foreign aid. He says he wants to force his colleagues to discuss why they think the Ukraine border is so much more important than the the U.S. border. And following pressure from Senate Democrats, President Biden has added guardrails requiring those countries to give assurances that weapons won't be used to obstruct humanitarian assistance. This action comes after the president yesterday criticized Israel's war operations. The conduct of the response in Gaza, in the Gaza Strip has been um, 
over the top. And even if this foreign aid package does pass the Senate, it's on shaky ground in the House. House Speaker Mike Johnson has emphasized multiple times that he wants to deal with foreign aid to these countries on a one by one basis. He has tried to, on multiple occasions, push standalone Israel aid. There's also growing opposition in the Republican led House for aiding Ukraine. Speaker Johnson himself says he's not entirely opposed to giving more aid to Ukraine, but he does have reservations. That's not been abandoned, but there's a lot more work that needs to be done with regard to what the answers that the White House needs to provide us. So it's clear at this point that this mounting skepticism in the Republican-led House will further delay the process of getting this foreign aid to the president's desk. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Melina Weiskup, NTD News. A new congressional report estimates that the influx of illegal immigrants will force down wages in the U.S. This comes as lawmakers in one state advance a bill that would extend government-funded health insurance to illegal immigrants. NTD's Arian Pazdar has an immigration update. You know, it's very difficult to know with precision who are the, you know, the people in some sense coming across the border now. The Congressional Budget Office, or CBO, released a budget outlook report for the next 10 years. The report estimates that America's population will increase over the next decade due to immigration. This will also take its toll on wages. The report states that average real wages are expected to be slightly lower by 2034 than they would be otherwise. Many say the report's most shocking projection is that it expects government debt will rise by $20 trillion in the next decade to $54 trillion. Now this new report comes just as state senators in Virginia advance a health care bill for immigrants. The Cover All Kids Act would provide state-funded health care to all low-income immigrants under the age of 19. Now a Republican state senator who opposed the bill reportedly said it would cost Virginia taxpayers $100 million just in this decade. And an update on this attack on police officers near Times Square, in which a group of illegal immigrants punched two officers and kicked their hats as they were lying on the ground. Seven individuals allegedly involved in this incident have now been indicted. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, who doesn't often address the public, held a press conference on Thursday. This assault, uh, as it did to many of you, sickened me uh, and outraged me. We all rely uh, on, on members of the NYPD every day, as I said, uh, to keep us safe and to keep this the safest big city in America. Bragg also commented on speculation that the suspects had been caught in Arizona after fleeing New York. He dismissed those reports, saying they're not true. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. Zooming in now on the Israel-Hamas war, Israeli troops are preparing for military operations in the city of Rafah, which is the southernmost part of the Gaza Strip bordering Egypt. Here's the story. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Friday ordered the Israeli Defense Forces to evacuate civilians from the city of Rafah. Israel is preparing to advance into the city, which has largely been spared from fighting during the war. Over one million Gaza residents displaced by the war are currently sheltering in Rafah. That's over half of the territory's population. Panic is rising after Israel announced plans to go into the city. Where will we go? If they try to pressure us to migrate to Egypt, we will not go to Egypt. We will return to Gaza and die in Gaza or anywhere on Gaza's land. And we will not migrate to Egypt or any other place. In Rafah, Gaza residents packed by the dozens into apartments, sidewalks, and once empty lots are clogged with tents full of families. Netanyahu's office said 
It is clear that a massive operation in Rafah requires the evacuation of the civilian population from the combat zones. Israeli forces already conducted airstrikes on the city Thursday and Friday. Several deaths were reported. The U.S. and the United Nations both expressed concerns over military operations in Rafah. The White House said it would not support any plans by Israel for major military operations in the city. President Biden on Thursday criticized Israel's operation. I'm of the view, as you know, that the conduct of the response in, Gaza, in the Gaza Strip has been um, over the top. Israel says Rafa is the last remaining Hamas stronghold and that it needs to send in troops to complete its war plan. Also happening near the border with Egypt, dozens of protesters on Friday tried to block aid for Gaza at the border, crossing between Israel and Egypt. They said they don't want aid to go into Gaza until the hostages are released. Elsewhere in the region, the U.S. military conducted more strikes against Houthi targets in Yemen. U.S. Central Command said Thursday night they targeted four unmanned vessels and seven anti-ship cruise missiles. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. The NYPD has revealed the suspect in a shooting in Times Square last night. A 15-year-old was arrested after allegedly open firing at a tourist. Police identified the teen as an immigrant from Venezuela. And I got to tell you, if one of those bullets hits our cop last night, this is a whole different conversation we're having today. My concern, our concern, the community's concern is to take this armed juvenile off the streets. Authorities say the suspect came to the U.S. last September and was living in a temporary migrant shelter. According to the NYPD, he shot a Brazilian tourist in the leg inside a retail store and began to shove clothing into a bag. As he ran off, he allegedly opened fire again just a few blocks away, attempting to lose the police. Officials say he's also a suspect in an armed robbery in the Bronx last month. During the shooting, the 15-year-old was accompanied by two other suspects. The five U.S. Marines killed in a helicopter crash this week have been identified. They are Lance Corporal Donovan Davis, Sergeant Alec Langen, and Captains Benjamin Moulton, Jack Casey, and Miguel Nava. The five were all between 21 and 28 years old. The crew was in the middle of routine flight training when they crashed near San Diego. An investigation into the accident is underway. In other election news, Arizona is updating its policies ahead of the November general election. The goal is to make sure ballots are counted on time. State lawmakers overwhelmingly approved a bipartisan bill that would update election policies. In particular, it would move the primary from August 6th to July 30th. It would also require election offices to remain open the weekend after elections. The goal is to make sure that an automatic recount wouldn't delay other election events. Arizona law requires automatic recounts when the margin of victory is within 0.5%. Under previous rules, if there is a recount in the November election, Arizona might not be able to deliver the results to the Electoral College by the December 11th deadline. 
Welcome back. I'm Tiffany Meyer. President Biden has addressed the special counsel report on his handling of classified documents. Joining us now to explore the report as well as Biden's response, we have investigative journalist Jeff Carlson. He's also the co-host of Truth Over News on Epic TV. Jeff Carlson, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you for having me. Now I want to start with Biden's documents case where hers 350 plus page report confirms that Biden committed multiple crimes in possessing that material, saying that our commander in chief, quote, risked serious damage to America's national security. That included exposing identities of clandestine CIA officers and some of the most sensitive of America's foreign agents abroad. But he added that Biden won't be prosecuted because he's too mentally unsound to face a trial. What did you make of this report? Well, there's two sides to the report effectively, right? There's the body of the report, the evidence that's amassed, and then there's the conclusion. And the report itself, I mean, make you know, make no mistake, it is very damning. It, it provides great detail as to what Biden did. It even covers um, a little known story that goes all the way back to uh, 21, uh, when documents were at the Biden Penn Center, and it walks through the entirety of that. It makes very clear that you know Biden should have been prosecuted, except for the conclusion, and that is that Biden is not mentally competent to be prosecuted. And it's those statements that are causing a firestorm for everybody right now. On that note, following this report, Biden gave a surprise address to the nation. Now, one exchange that came up was this. President Biden, something the special counsel said in his report is that one of the reasons you were not charged is because in his description, you are a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I'm well-meaning and I'm an elderly man and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president and I put this country back on its feet. How totally bad out. is your memory and can you continue as president? My memory is so bad I let you speak. What's your reaction to this exchange? Well, I mean, you know, first of all, you have to consider the fact that they felt compelled that they had to do this press conference in the first place. In other words, they recognized that this report was indeed that bad on both sides of it, both on terms of the evidence and in terms of their conclusion. But think about it this way. Biden is either too senile to be prosecuted or he should be prosecuted. Biden is either, you know, not competent to stand trial. Conversely, is he competent to be president? I mean, these are the very real questions that the Democratic Party is facing right now. And now switching gears a little bit, Fox News, former Fox News host Tucker Carlson has been making headlines with his interview with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Now, there's been mixed reactions, especially in the media world, with even the EU proposing sanctions on him. What did you make of his interview, but also the reactions around it? You know, I found the reactions predictable. I think the media is terrified both at what, you know, Putin's demonstration of competence, his grasp of history, but also, you know, like during that interview, he made it very clear that he was open to um, having a negotiated settlement to the war in Ukraine. And yet, you know, that's been an ongoing effort where there's a continual demand for funds to keep funding a war in Ukraine that's frankly unwinnable and is always, in my estimation anyway, has always been unwinnable. Now, the Tucker-Putin interview covered a range of topics, including AI and even Elon Musk. But what was most surprising to you? The length of it, the fact that he was willing to, there was, it was such a breadth of topics that were covered. 
you know, this this meeting went, this interview went uh, more than two hours in length. Again, though, the first thing that I gravitated to was Putin's throwing out there of his own, you know, very forthright that he wanted a negotiated settlement to Ukraine. That's probably the thing first and foremost that grabbed my attention. As well as the fact this understanding of history and that Russia, I think, as a country, is much more tied to their history than, unfortunately, we, we are here in the United States right now. And one thing that seems to be standing out to some was the binder that Tucker was holding. What did you make of that? Yes, in many respects, um, especially in kind of light of the overshadowing events yesterday, that was the thing that I thought was the most interesting at the very end. Um, and Tucker made a point of showing it. For those did, that didn't see, Tucker was given a very large binder of documents um, from Putin to bring back. And it's unknown what's in there. But not only did you see that at the end of the interview and the handoff, but Tucker made a very real point of posting that as a separate clip, just he and the binder alone, and without telling us what's in there, making very clear what it was and pointing it out to everybody. So a lot of curiosity surrounding what's exactly in all those documents. Intriguing indeed. Jeff Carlson, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Good to see you again. Later in the show, we'll hear the Democratic perspective on the special counsel's report. We'll be joined by A. Scott Bolden, former chair of the D.C. Democratic Party. Former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan today announcing his bid for the U.S. Senate. In a campaign video on X, he vowed to put partisan politics aside and instead focus on finding, quote, common ground for the common good. We desperately need leaders willing to stand up to both parties. Leaders that appreciate that no one of us has all the answers or all the power. Because this is not just about the differences between the right and the left. This is about the difference between right and wrong. The Maryland Republican is known for his moderate record. He left office last year as one of the most popular governors in the country. Hogan is looking to flip the seat that will be left open by Senator Ben Cardin after he retires, but it remains to be seen whether he can turn the tide. His home state hasn't elected a GOP senator in nearly four decades. In Montana, Congressman Matt Rosendale also filed his bid for the Senate, pitting himself against political newcomer Tim Sheehy. Rosendale was one of the eight Republicans who voted to remove Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker. He is working to replace Democratic Senator John Tester, who is seeking a fourth term. Former President Trump has won the Nevada caucuses with over 99 percent of the vote. He'll receive all 26 of the state's delegates at the GOP convention in July. Trump was the only major candidate there since his rival Nikki Haley filed to run in the state's primary instead. Trump also won the U.S. Virgin Islands caucuses, which means he's now won all four contests he stood in so far. The former president received 74 percent of the vote from the Virgin Islands, compared to Nikki Haley's 26 percent. That means he'll be awarded four more delegates. The Super Bowl flu, an unofficial term for the Monday after the Super Bowl, when millions decide to skip work and the entire nation loses billions in productivity. NTD's Miguel Moreno has more. Football fans are excited about the upcoming Super Bowl. But many of their employers may not be. Because of the dreaded Super Bowl flu, when millions decided to skip work, 
the following day. It is definitely a thing. We have a lot of clients that are much larger than us that that really have experienced um, the pain and the lost productivity from having people um, you know, be absent or unexpectedly um, be absent. Lauren Winans is the principal HR consultant at Next Level Benefits. She sees different industries being impacted at different levels. For example, in retail, hospitality, and tourism, lost productivity means a less satisfying customer experience, which could lead to future lost business. An estimated 16 million Americans plan to miss work on Super Bowl Monday, according to the Harris Poll. As if that weren't bad enough, 6.4 million employees plan to go to work late. 11 million say they're not sure whether they'll skip work. 6.4 million say they'll decide at the last minute. Each year, this phenomenon costs the nation billions in lost productivity. Many employers turn to Winans for help. Get ahead of it. Um, you know, communicate early and often, maybe a week or two in advance of the Super Bowl, just to kind of let people know, hey, don't forget to schedule your time off if you're making plans to take time off. It's much easier for uh, managers and an organization to kind of work around planned absences. Winans says it's much harder to deal with unplanned absences. She also advises businesses to offer incentives for coming in on Super Bowl Monday, especially for critical employees. Miguel Moreno, NTD News. Joining us now to discuss the comments about President Biden's memory in the special counsel report, we have A. Scott Bolden. He's a former chair of the D.C. Democratic Party, a former New York assistant district attorney and NTD News contributor. A. Scott Bolden, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> now, to begin, what did you make of this report and the DOJ's decision not to charge President Biden? Well, the decision not to charge President Biden was expected. The 350 pages and the gratuitous comments about his age and mental acuity, the fact that he couldn't remember things, I thought was uh, politically gratuitous and really out of line with what an investigative report would include. If you want to say you can't prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt, then you say that, and based on the facts and based on the, your interviews with not only Biden but others, if they couldn't remember certain details, then you just say that. You don't talk about, well, if we did prosecute him, he'd be sympathetic to a jury. Here's the reason why you know that was politically gratuitous. Because if you were to prosecute President Biden or anyone else as a defendant in a criminal case, he doesn't have to talk to the jury, he doesn't have to take the stand, he doesn't have to say a word. His innocence is presumed under our criminal justice system and constitution. And so why would you even contemplate how a jury would react to him? I mean, it was just gratuitous and plays into the Republican narrative that he is older, he's mentally unfit and what have you. We know those to be untrue, notwithstanding how he comes off in his 80s. Now, on that note, just to expand on your point, the report cites President Biden's, quote, diminished faculties as a reason for not pursuing the trial further. Now, this point seems to have become a focal point from the report. Could this actually hurt President Biden politically? Well, that narrative is out there already. The Republicans have adopted it already. This Republican-appointed former U.S. attorney seems to have adopted it and gratuitously just shared this in his report to cause some political damage or political confirmation of the Republican narrative. Uh, I don't think it's going to hurt him any more than it's hurt him already in the polls. The White House reacted uh, quite quickly, so they think it's an issue. 
But the other cheap shot was he couldn't, that allegedly he couldn't remember the day uh, his son died, if you will. It was another political cheap shot and really personal, personally offensive. And so I think in the end, the Democrats are going to support him, um, Biden, and the Republicans are going to continue to make hay of it. But that narrative of the ageism is out there already. It's been confirmed in this report, but inappropriately confirmed. For the most part, we've seen legacy media shy away from questioning his age. CNN today, their top story was titled, Biden tries to lay to rest age concerns but may have exacerbated them, referring to last night's press conference. Now, do you think this report could change the conversation or the way the nation talks about this issue? Um, maybe, but I also think it's going to, i tell you what it's going to change. It's going to change how Biden and his political team address this issue, how they present him, and whether they can make him more likable. You know, it's one thing to be an angry grandfather. It's another thing to be a jovial grandfather. Happy grandfathers are loved by all. And they can be smart and have wisdom and impart both on the, the public and who they're presenting to. Uh, very often, uh, uh, Biden comes off a little bit on the harder edge side. And I think they need to work on that because that's a likability factor. In the end, America is going to choose between democracy and anarchy. And the Democrats are, are hoping and, 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 and trying to um, believe that given the choice between Trump and Biden, they're going to choose democracy over Trump's anarchy. We'll have to see what happens. Now, numerous conservative commentators are saying that this reports, plus last night's media and press conference and the media coverage all of all of this indicates that President Biden won't be the Democratic nominee. Now, as the former chair of the D.C. Democratic Party, what do you make of that theory? Is it likely? Uh, I think it's unlikely that he won't be, forgive the double negative, it's unlikely that he won't be the Democratic nominee. Uh, this is all baked in. The Democrats are a thousand percent behind him. His two opponents are minor opponents. They're almost annoyances. They're not getting more than two to three percent. And so it's going to be Biden versus Trump if Trump can avoid going to jail or being convicted uh, between now and uh, November. He's going to be the nominee. And so um, um, I don't think the Republicans can have that narrative. They're hoping that independents and conservative Dems and even moderate Republicans will buy into it and say, given the choice, they're going to go with Trump when they vote in November. I don't think that's the case because Biden has a lot of experience. He's got a lot of wisdom. And the fact that he is elderly, if you will, is it doesn't disqualify him under the Constitution from leading the country. And he's got a legislative record to run on. He's very popular with the Democrats, despite what they say about his age and whether they aren't concerned about him running. He's going to be the nominee. He's just got to go out and get it. He's got to perform. And he's got to be more likable, despite the age issue that he's facing. Hey, Scott Bolden, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Presidential candidate Nikki Haley weighing in on special counsel Robert Hur's report. She compared President Biden's classified documents case to the allegations against former President Trump. 
Haley argued that there's a double standard in the way Trump is being treated compared to Biden, but she's not defending her Republican rival, saying they were both reckless with classified documents. Haley took to X, writing, if Biden's defense is old age and forgetfulness, Trump can easily make the same claim. Trump should quickly hire Biden's lawyers. The former president is battling criminal charges related to holding classified documents after he left the White House. In Nevada last night, caucus voters reacted to Biden not being charged for keeping the documents due to his age. We don't have an equal system. If he's considered not capable of, you know, being prosecuted for something because of his incapacity, how is he, you know, able to run our country with, with limited capacity, if any? Anybody that's seen an interview uh, of Joe Biden lately is, uh, I think, it's pretty obvious that he's got a few cognitive challenges. Pivoting from politics, millions of dollars in sales of North Korean false eyelashes marketed in beauty stores around the world as made in China. These products helped drive a recovery in the secretive state's exports last year. Take a look. Where are your false eyelashes really coming from? Despite the Made in China label, they may be coming from neighboring North Korea. Reuters spoke to people working in the eyelash industry, trade lawyers, and experts on North Korea's economy, who described a system in which China-based firms import semi-finished products from North Korea, which are then completed and repackaged as Chinese. The lashes are then exported from China and make their way to the West, Japan, and South Korea. This system gives Kim Jong-un's regime a way to skirt international sanctions, providing a vital source of foreign currency. This is Pingdu, China, also known as the eyelash capital of the world. Wang Tingting's family owns Manshiri, a Pingdu-based eyelash factory. About 80% of eyelash factories here purchase or process false eyelash raw materials and semi-finished products from North Korea, according to a 2023 estimate published by Cali, a Chinese manufacturer of eyelash boxes. Manshiri is one of them. The quality of the North Korean products is much better than that of our domestic ones, but the delivery is just too slow. North Korea has long been a major exporter of hair products like wigs and false lashes, but exports tumbled during the COVID-19 pandemic. Initially, it was about the ships. Either they were detained or couldn't dock. After being detained, when they finally arrived in China, they get held up again. After Pyongyang reopened its borders in 2023, Chinese customs data shows North Korea's exports to China more than doubled with wigs, eyelashes, and beards compromising nearly 60% of it. In total, these exports were worth around $167 million in 2023, up from $31 million in 2019. Since 2006, the UN Security Council has tried to stall Pyongyang's nuclear weapons program through sanctions. That's restricted North Korea's ability to trade products like coals, textiles, and oil. But there's no direct ban on hair products. So trading false eyelashes from North Korea doesn't necessarily violate international law, according to three sanctions experts who spoke to Reuters. 
The United States has separately expanded measures against North Korea, which include sanctions on any company stocking or selling products whose sales fund the Kim regime, a restriction that also applies to non-American firms using the U.S. dollar. Here's Shing Tong Chan, a South Korean lawyer specializing in economic sanctions. If you ignore the widely known fact and say it is all right to import the products and use them as they were labeled as made in China, this can be a very risky attitude that can violate U.S. sanctions. Seoul-based businessman Johnny Lee imports lashes, which he says are made in North Korea and packaged in China. When asked about the legal risks, he said he wasn't selling sophisticated technology. The North Korean workers are just trying to make a living there. The money they make might go into developing missiles, but only if the business is happening in a big scale. The U.S. State Department and international experts estimate that North Korea seizes up to 90 percent of foreign income generated by its citizens, many of whom live in poverty. Over $3 billion in U.S. venture capital allegedly flowed to companies aiding the Chinese military. That's according to a bipartisan investigation conducted by the House Select China Committee. They looked into five American venture capital firms and found they poured at least $3 billion into Chinese tech companies. Many of them helped the Chinese military, state surveillance efforts, or Beijing's human rights abuses in Xinjiang. Lawmakers said $1.9 billion went to AI companies that support Beijing's human rights abuses or military. Another $1.2 billion was funneled to China's semiconductor sector, including companies that help advance Beijing's military ambitions. The American firms investigated include Qualcomm Ventures, Sequoia Capital China and Walden International. Welcome back. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Survivors of the Maui wildfires could get as much as $1.5 million each in compensation. Hawaii Governor Josh Green made the announcement Thursday, six months after the blaze killed 100 people. But people have come together. There is hope. Uh, there is compassion. And though we have not completed the recovery, of course, we have begun to heal. So one by one, we're doing what we can to help families recover. Families will be eligible for compensation if they agree not to file legal action against the state. Nearly 5,000 displaced survivors continue to live in hotels. Governor Green also detailed a housing partnership between FEMA, the state and the county of Maui. With the help of Maui Strong and other organizations, the fund amounts to $500 million. A little more than a hundred households have been able to return to their homes. The state hopes another thousand households will be able to move into long-term housing. Football fans are excited about Sunday's Super Bowl between the San Francisco 49ers and Kansas City Chiefs, but sky-high ticket prices have sidelined average fans wanting to attend the event. Football fans rejoice. The Super Bowl is finally here. This year's host will be Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. The venue holds 65,000 spectators. But record ticket prices have many wondering if the NFL has forgotten its core fans. But I think right now, like, it's just, um, you know, there's, for, uh, for an organization to say that we're for the people and fans and want to have experience and things like that, uh, it, it is very, it is, uh, it is kind of out of touch with what the fan base wants. How much are tickets selling for this year? 
What we're focused on right now is that average ticket price sold, which is right around $8,600, which is in line and slightly above the LA Super Bowl two years ago. This fan has a suggestion to help solve the costly ticket problem. For the average fan, make a lottery like they do with the German games, so you at least can apply and at least give the average fan a chance to, to attend the game because the fans are making the NFL, not the NFL is creating the fans. While many fans won't see the game in person, Las Vegas' newest star attraction, The Sphere, is wowing football fans with Super Bowl-themed content. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's like almost 3D, like Patrick Mahomes like throwing a football and then it's like coming right at you, it's, it's amazing. Well, when we were just driving around, oh, what is this big structure again in Vegas, until we saw the lights and the different kinds of uh, animation, so we got excited. Throughout the game, content on the Exosphere will run live in response to action on the field. The 366-foot-tall and 516-foot-wide arena cost $2.3 billion to build. It's been billed as the world's largest spherical structure. So who do you think will win the big game? With Super Bowl 58 now just two days away, NTD's Dave Martin asks fans for their predictions. I'm here in New York City talking to locals about who they think is going to win the Super Bowl. Let's go talk to a few of them. Uh, Kansas team. Kansas City? Yeah, Kansas City. Well, why are you picking Kansas City? Uh, I think they're the underdog. <laughs> My 49ers. My 49ers all the way. Yeah, why are you picking them? Uh, well, I was fr I'm from San Francisco. Um, also, the Chiefs, they just cry to the refs. That's all they do. That's all they do. And the refs, the refs are going to be, they're not going to be biased to the Super Bowl. I think... Or I hope the 49ers win. I hope so too. But in all honesty, the way things are going, I think I would, if I was putting money on it, I'd have the Chiefs winning. I have all confidence in the 49ers. Me too. Um, as long as Brock Purdy plays well, like in the beginning, I think I think they'll definitely like have a good chance of overthrowing the the Chiefs. How important is it to you that Taylor Swift is at the game Sunday? Uh, to be honest, it's, it's not actually that important. I uh, I think so. I think I think people are being a little unfair on her. There's there's a lot of hate. Um, but again, the Swifties can be a little insufferable at times, so, you know. I, I would definitely agree, like, they're taking time away from the athletes who actually played rather to interview someone who's just, you know, watching from above. I think the Chiefs. <laughs> Me too, I think the Chiefs. Yeah, why are you guys picking the Chiefs? The, um, we love Taylor Swift. <laughs> I think I think she'll make it, I think, because obviously the time difference in Tokyo, so I think she'll be able to make it for Travis. Well, there you have it. Now, the Niners are actually slight one-and-a-half-point favorites. The game, meanwhile, will be played 6.30 Eastern time in Las Vegas, and it'll be shown on CBS. I'm Dave Martin for NTD News. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.